Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What's up, y'all? It's your man, Ernest. So you love Ernest. Same guy, different name. I swear to God, that was my bed. Not a big-ass fart. Uh, but, yes. And if you want to give me money for a brand-new bed so it's not making sounds like that, <laughs> hit that support tab. Description box below. PayPal. <laughs> Cash app. Give a nigga some money to end. Anyways, buy me a new bed. Also, also, um, this is the intro. Um, once again, um, and before we get into the show's context or the content of the show, I want to say rest in peace to Elijah McLean and also rest in peace to baby Huey or Huey as, um, you know, the, the, the rapper for pop lock and drop it. He, he's basically known more for, um, his story, he was gunned down in St. Louis. My phone is dying right now, so I'm going to have to get up and charge it. But not to make light of all this, uh, but yeah, he was gunned down. Um, hopefully there is justice for him. Uh, rest in peace to him. Um and I know people, the detractors out there, um, you know, the 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 police dick riders are going to bring up things like black on black crime. They're going to bring up things like this is why we need policing. Um, I actually think I'm going to not thinking about I am going to write an article basically about how life will be like without policing. Um so that that article would not be up by the time this episode is up. I don't think so. Um, I highly doubt it will. I honestly, because I one, I haven't started writing it. Two, there are other things that I uh, other blog pieces or posts that I am currently working on at the moment, and I want to finish those before I get into that. But just know your punk ass arguments for why the police should be around. Um, Oh, the police should be a thing. They're getting they're getting trashed and dragged through through the mud in that piece. So I'm letting you know right now. Um, and when that piece is up, that's going to be on my Medium blog, which happens to be my only blog right now. I deleted my Tumblr blog for those who may have been listening to me. And was wondering what happened to your Tumblr. Did it get finally taken down. Because somebody reported what you said. Or your opinions. Um, no. it. If anybody attempted to try to take it down. They were unsuccessful. Because I took it down. Twas I. Um, I just felt as though. That I was done with Tumblr. Honestly. And I was too old for it. Um. It wasn't like how it was when I first got on as a teen. Um, I, the the worst thing about it was a lot of those cringeworthy people 
that were on Tumblr um, went to Twitter, and that's why Twitter is such a fucked up place, which I will also write about, but, you know. Uh, not to take away from the rest in pieces that I want to talk about in this episode. I don't want to make this a trend. I don't want to make this a trend, but I got to uh, speak on these situations. Um, so, rest in peace, baby Huey. I, 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 sorry to get sideswiped. As far as Elijah McClain, this is a young man who was murdered by the police. Let me say it again. By the police. Let me say it one more time if you didn't hear me and if you're a, a Blue Lives Matter activist. By the police. An innocent young man at the age of 23. Last year in August. Was murdered by the police. Because he was walking home. Because they thought he looked suspicious. He wasn't guilty of anything, nothing. They thought he looked suspicious, dressed the way he was dressed, and they beat the shit out of him. They beat the death out of him, actually, literally. Beat this young man to death. The young man pleaded with the cops. He tried to tell them how much he isn't a criminal how he isn't somebody who is guilty of you know what the police claim to be against crime and of any in any sort law breaking how he tried to plead with them for 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 them to spare his life that he's a law abiding citizen he's not anything the cops should look at and deem as a threat. But he. Was a black man. And. It don't matter. If you've never committed a crime or not. Never been arrested or not. Play violin for kittens at a shelter. Volunteer at a pet shelter. Are a masseuse. Or a podcaster. An athlete. An Olympian athlete. Once the police officers. See your skin color. You are deemed a threat. In their eyes. There was no reason why the cops weren't looking for a suspect. They It wasn't like they got Elijah on some mistaken identity type stuff. They literally saw him walking. And said, hey, black boy. We don't like the way you're dressed. We don't like your skin color. You look guilty. And we're going to beat the hell out of you. That's exactly what they did. This situation, all these situations, the Breonna Taylor situation, George Floyd, Tamir Rice, Sandra Bland. All of these other situations are horrible. But this one here. If at this point, if you're defending, I mean, if you're to me, if you've been defending the cops and situations like this keep happening and you're defending the cops. 
You lost or you really just don't give a fuck. You're really lost like in this get out type of lost. Or you really just do not give a fuck. Because how can you look at a situation like this? And say that and, 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 and Elijah is not the first to happen. Not the first male, black male, or male period, first person to suffer this type of treatment at the hands of the police. I don't know how anybody at this point could defend people, defend an organization of slave catchers, but defend an organization that lets motherfuckers get off with this shit. I don't see how you can be a police officer, look at this situation, and it may not have had happened in your particular uh, department, but how can you look at all this and say, yo, this is, this is, this is acceptable. How can you look at that and say, I, can, I, 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 can, I have to stay silent about this because my job means more to me than anything else. You're part of the fucking problem. Whether you're a cop or not and you stay silent about this shit and this shit doesn't bother you or you don't want the people and the organization to be held accountable, you're part of the problem. It's absolutely disgusting what they did to Elijah McClain. And it has nothing to do with, for me at least, it has nothing to do with the type of individual that he is. I don't give a fuck if Elijah it could have been the uh, an asshole. He could have been strangling cats. You know what I'm saying? He could have been beating people with violins. If he was not guilty of doing anything at that moment and just got beat the fuck up, sure. I would look at it and be like, well, he wasn't a saint. But was he doing wrongdoing at that moment? No. But I understand the people who are looking at this and saying this especially breaks my heart because this man was indeed a saint. You see the news report from his sister. This man bothered nobody. He treated everybody like royalty. Literally, whenever he met with strangers, he will bow his head to strangers. And you mean to tell me that the devils who did this to him, that killed him, don't deserve punishment? That the organization that allows these devils to do this, that organization does not deserve to be abolished? It's sad that it's probably going to have to take a lot of you all, Blue Lives Matter activists, to either experience the fuckery or to have a loved one experience the fuckery in order for you to get it. God forbid it goes to that point, but it's sad just thinking about how you're going to have that something like what happened to Elijah, something like what happened to George Floyd, Sandra Bland, 
Breonna Taylor. How something like Tamir Rice. Like if it happened to a kid in your family, your kid perhaps, if you have any. That that will be the defining moment that opens your eyes to police brutality. To, to, to the police organization not being a good organization, not being something we should have. But I could talk about that forever. I don't want to take away too much attention from what this episode is about. That might be a future episode anyways because I don't have any more interviews or discussions lined up. Nobody else has reached out. Therefore, I don't have any more uh, guests looking. You know, it's not looking like I have any more guests um, for the foreseeable future. So it's just going to be me, you know. Um, But anyways... Once again, rest in peace to Elijah McClain. Rest in peace to Huey once again. And um, we're going to get into the actual episode. Hello? Hello. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you loud and clear. Can you hear me? Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah. All right, what's up? So, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Um, Just got a couple questions here. Uh, but you know, with every guest, I just like for you to introduce yourself and uh, tell the listeners why you're on the show. Uh, you start from there. Hello. Hello. No, I was just turning it up a little bit. You couldn't hear. Oh no, it's just my. That's all. Oh, okay. Did I? Um, so you heard my the the first question. Yeah, you said to introduce myself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, my name is James Roberts. Uh, I'm a two-time Paralympian and also a transformational coach. Uh, I live in the United Kingdom, and obviously, helping uh, from a work perspective, helping people lose ten plus pounds in 90 days all right cool cool um if you don't mind just share a bit of your your story for those who don't know um you know share as much share as little as you want to um well i was born in belgium uh to a military family Uh, my father was in the u.s air force and my mother was a NATO civilian. So I think the, the mindset that I've probably been instilled with, with both as a coach and as an athlete that represented my country uh, at four World Championships and two Paralympics, to name a few, I think that mindset comes from probably that resiliency, uh, dedication, respect, 
uh, and ultimately sacrifice uh, to one's craft. And I think obviously that also comes from um, something I've learned from my, my grandmother, be it from okay, it's a, a generation gone by where um, they internalised a lot of things through their hardship of having to be brought up after World War One and probably living through World War Two. So they probably internalised a lot of their feelings. But what I probably learned from that is that mentality of you either sink or you swim. So I think for me, being born with a disability, I never saw that as an ad because my family didn't treat me any differently. Uh, we never, never, I was never told I can't do anything. And I think because of that kind of uh, environment and what it cultivated, I think I always, no matter how big the the problem was, I was very, very resolute to finding a solution. So be it, um, I've not talked about this in a long, long time, but uh, just the mundane task of being able to play alongside my peers in elementary school uh, on the monkey bars. You, you, I obviously had to sit on the side and, and watch uh, and see how they did it and then come up with a solution. Well, how do I adapt this? Obviously, something that I could probably do without thinking now as an, an adult. But how do I overcome this challenge as a child and then be able to be quote unquote normal. So I think from from day one, I was very much a problem solver. So it would be just as something that that's more to something that's or maybe something bigger and looking to get over the that hurdle, no matter what the not necessarily the risk, but obviously reap the reward, reward the other side and come up with my own process to overcome that struggle. Yeah, that's great. Um, I was reading up on uh, your story, but the listeners don't know. So um, if you don't mind, uh, would you tell them about your disability, what it is? And I, you already mentioned how... Um, you viewed it growing up and, you know, how uh, your family treated you. So you don't have to go into too much of the, that much detail if you don't want to. Um, but um, yeah, I'm pretty sure those who are listening would like to know uh, about that. Oh, I'm trying to think, well, how, how, how I described it on the, on the website that you saw is difficult. It, uh, be it the trying to describe it, obviously it's, difficult for obviously your listeners even to try and visualize it but mm. obviously I'll deem it as my disability is a congenital one so it's a form of a, de a birth defect but I like to call it an amputation because it's a little bit easier to be able to visualize be it because ultimately I use a prosthetic limb a fake leg to be able to uh, most of the time walk around uh, obviously I've got my good and bad days where that's not the case but that's where I'm at and uh, be it if we go right back to the early days Ernest obviously the radiographer said to my mother due to the number of bones that I'm missing in that le left leg I shouldn't be able to walk so let alone use a prosthetic leg let alone do what I do 
day to day now, 33, 34 years on, because my mother's not told me that until I've asked as a teenager, obviously you, you learn to adapt, you learn to crawl, you learn to walk, and ultimately you look to progress. Yes, it took me longer to achieve those feats, but I was able to do that. But obviously if you were to be told as maybe a toddler or an infant where you're able to communicate and very much comprehend um, communication, that might have held me back versus maybe that's where I'm very opposed to uh, some parents who have kids with disabilities, well, be it, I think, something in the news, I think about a year ago, that they wanted to practice in the house. How is it, how does, how is it like to only have one arm? Yeah, it's difficult. But obviously, if you make something easier for somebody, they don't have to overcome struggles. They don't have to overcome uh, a problem and come up with a solution. So if you make something easier, people become comfortable. Whereas if you go back to my story, I didn't have the comfort. It's, we're not going to wrap you up in cotton wool. We're not going to monocolor you. We're going to treat you as if you were able-bodied to a certain extent. And you're going to have to learn to adapt. And I think maybe that's a lost art in certain parts of society where people are unwilling to adapt to a situation because they they like comfort i'm not i'm not disputing that that's not a good thing but sometimes it, obviously you reap the, the rewards from becoming uncomfortable and i think obviously with me having to do that from a very young age i i don't say i, I probably thrive in the uncomfortable because obviously that's what made me uh, very successful as an athlete because i have to ultimately become comfortable being uncomfortable because otherwise I won't progress. So I think that's probably a lesson to learn is, is to be adaptable to the situation. Be it that it, it, you don't have to necessarily do it somebody else's way to, to get to your target, your results, the destination. But if you adapt to what you, your way and thus you are stepping out of comfort, you're going to progress. Yeah, man, I love it. I love it. Uh, that's a beautiful message. And I do agree that um, as a society, there are areas, and I've talked about this many times on, on this podcast, um, that people tend to just go for what is comfortable or tend to uh, not avoid the struggle because we we're we're too comfortable at where where we where we're at um whatever level that person is at and i've mentioned plenty of times how um you know to achieve things that where we we want to achieve or just to achieve things in general you have to go through the hardships you have to go through what is uncomfortable at times um you know so I mean, that's to, just to hear someone else say it, it, it doesn't make me look crazy. So I appreciate that. Um, I was going to ask you about um, 
just you as as an Olympic athlete, if you want to just detail that, share that, um, let the listeners know about all of that. And also for the listeners, um, I will share his website in the description box below. Uh, James, you could tell me anything or sh- uh, send me anything else you would like for me to have in the show notes, basically, to the, just the description box below. And I'll have that posted once I upload the episode. But for those interested in uh, hearing more about his uh, disability and just him in general, I will have his website. A lot of the information I got was from that web- website. So we'll have that in the description box below. But um, yeah, going back to the question, I was just going to ask you um, to share about just your experience as an Olympian. I think it's that willingness to embrace uh, stepping into that, that adversity. Obviously for an athlete, that is a given, no matter what level of competition they're at, it is part of the process of of doing the sport obviously it's trying to both be competitive but also be empathetic to yourself in terms of and what i mean by that is obviously be a little bit more gracious in terms of being a little bit um towards uh self-gratitude in terms of and this is something i didn't do very well because i think i glossed over the fact of of you know the day-to-day i'll call it the grind yeah. I have to do it no matter if I love it, I like it, or I, I loathe it. Whereas I'm not giving myself a kudos or a kind of a pat on the back. Well, that's still an achievement to do something that obviously other people see as either too difficult or I could never imagine myself doing that. Obviously, it was ultimately it's a choice. Um, I was willing to do to do that uh, I've said a family member asked me a while back before lockdown would you do your career over again I was like yeah yes obviously but I would learn from the mistakes or the choices should I say that I made ultimately they were they, some of them were not the right choices I probably would maybe have done, uh, have done something slightly differently or been a bit more proactive with certain things during that 10-year career so I think ultimately, to answer your question, I think it was, I probably didn't enjoy the ride as much as I should have, if I'm honest, because I, I yes, I've got memories. Yes, I've got pictures to recall the competitions, uh, the world, obviously the, from, from team events to um, national competition to obviously the pinnacle. Of, 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 of representing my country on the highest stage in those sports but I probably didn't soak up it, that experience as much as I could have in terms of and what I mean by this and I think it's maybe slightly easier to be able to do in this stage of social media and I'll, I'll praise it for once because I do bash it occasionally mm-hmm. but it gives the athletes or the person a chance to give their, I call it an audience, but the behind, but behind scenes look of, of their life, because ultimately that is what people want to know. They want to know obviously how you tick, what 
you stand for, what you stand against, what makes you happy, etc., etc., etc. Obviously, there's a fine line between uh, being a influencer and obviously your privacy, but it's will it, it's a give and take um, experience because ultimately, the more you can share with your viewers, your listeners, and your subscribers the more that they obviously come closer to you as an inner circle, be it obviously the ones that are going to be the very, very close to you are going to be your, your, your friends and your family. And that's never going to change because ultimately they're going to be there. Nice. And obviously your family, definitely, your family definitely will have your back in the, in the rough times, but it gives you a sense of the ones that really do appreciate you they've got your back as well. And, and, and it's being tried to, because I've had people reach out to me and say, well, how, how are you doing, uh, et cetera, with, with the lockdown um, and things like that. So it's like, well, you get to see that people are probably closer than you than you expected versus maybe people that you grew up with that for whatever reason, they've gone silent because possibly they're not they're not doing as well as could be hoped of with the obviously the the pandemic that we're living in yeah yeah i totally understand that uh stemming from just you mentioned how uh social media gives athletes uh pretty much a platform for them for people to see into their life for them to connect with uh those who uh or fancy them or idolize them in, in ways. Um, I just, I just was wondering, do you believe that athletes should be more than just, you know, an athlete? Should they be um, like role and not role models, but should they basically just be more than the athlete that they are? Um, should they just be more than somebody who is an Olympian, somebody who is, you know, a football player, a basketball player, baseball, whatever the sport that they play? Um, like, what are your thoughts on all that? Oh, I think ultimately we are, we are, but I think it's a societal perception and a bias that uh, you deem it because it is our, ultimately our job. That that's that's all we are. But obviously, depending on the individual. And this is going to be very much uh, case by case because some people will struggle to not be able to identify themselves other than the athlete. I don't struggle with that because uh, I th- I think it's a, it's a question uh, I was I was asked of um, one of my uh, former university lecturers in terms of well, how do you identify yourself? And it more he described uh, him and. Um, identifying me so he deemed me okay yes you're an athlete yes you've got a disability yes you're an academic okay a little bit less than now uh and then and obviously i've got the the the, the race element of being mixed race so i think uh, yes to but to, to to determine i don't fit fix fit within one box so for me obviously it, it, it's easy to um talk to different individuals, be it ability, if they are white, if they're black. Obviously I don't I 
treat everybody irrespective of their color the same because ultimately that's respect. Uh, and then obviously I'll speak differently uh, with academics because that's the language that is in that in in that arena. And obviously with with athletes, uh, obviously we can be nostalgic or talk about certain events and things like that. And obviously with my podcast, the Mindset Athlete, I probably was able to go a little bit deeper with those individuals because ultimately I have that trust element because they know, like, and trust me coming from that arena. I'm not going to lie about that. I've, I've been there. I'm one of you. I've, I've come through the hardships of the blood, sweat, and tears, and obviously ultimately the sacrifices uh, of, of life. What I think maybe it's probably been easier for the likes of Instagram, uh, Facebook Lives to be able to show, well, this is the sacrifice we're having to do and this is what we have to miss out on. But be it like, uh, you've got to curtail certain aspects of Christmas, holidays, um, social occasions that you have to miss. And I think ultimately, I think people are a little bit more empathetic towards that, whereas maybe the gone by era, they would maybe turn around and say, well, that's ultimately your choice. You're de- you are deeming, not that those events, like social occasions are, are less important. They are at that particular moment in time because obviously you can't balance too many plates in the air because some are going to some are gonna come crashing down. But obviously this is one thing I was taught from a very young age. You've got your education, you've got your sport, and obviously you've got your social life, one's got to give because you can't balance all three. Uh, for me, it was an easier choice because being 15, I'm still in full-time education now almost 20 years ago. That's that's I can't push that to, to one side. I want to be successful in sport. That's where I want to go in life. So for me, it was an easy decision that social life had to go to a certain extent. But I, I, I did enjoy the experience of going to university and experiencing the party lifestyle to a certain extent to to because I think that's a, a part of your life that obviously shapes you going forward so I wanted to experience some of that but obviously the importance of me being a student athlete was I'm a student first athlete second and ultimately having the joys of going out partying and drinking obviously I didn't drink so that was not difficult but that doesn't make make me who I am but I think obviously to answer your question more specifically I think maybe a societal bias as some athletes like I said in the beginning just see themselves as athletes obviously when when you come to stop this is a good point of that, of right now, of lockdown. Um, that wasn't a choice of the athlete to stop. Some individuals might struggle. Uh, retirement's another one. It's it, if, if it's not your decision to ride out on that white horse, metaphorically, it's difficult to transition into a uh, different part of your life, be it going into maybe full-time employment. It's something I, I struggled with, but it's remembering that you have certain skill sets that business obviously love. You're a team player. You are very dedicated to your craft. You probably take no nonsense. And what I mean by that is you'll get something done 
Uh, and I think obviously this is where I work probably well with my business coach because he's uh, ex-military. He's an athlete in, in the military. If you're asked to do something, they say jump, you say how high and you do it. And I think that's where probably athletes will thrive in any avenue of life because ultimately you've got the skill set to endure, to go through the difficulties, to have to a certain extent no self-doubt because you are, yes, because you've done the hours and hours of reps, that's easy, that can go on autopilot. And then you're willing to obviously take on feats that are difficult for everybody else. But I think that bias does come back to maybe society over time has always deemed the athlete to be the athlete and you're robot you're very robotic in terms of you doing a certain we'll use football because you brought it up be it the wide receiver you only do this you only do that so if you be to a certain extent step out of line like antonio brown did that's not that's not normal because but then obviously for him social media has evolved so you're probably getting to the back end and if, if people would have seen his uh, transition from being that division two athlete to being a high profile uh, um, receiver for the Steelers I think people would have been a little bit more receptive of that because you've seen you either still like him for the athlete that he was coming out of college or you loathe that transition and you move away from versus kind of going what he did was probably very polarizing so it i think it gives the the viewers or the audience watching a chance to see well i don't like where and i use me because it's i'll bash myself a little bit here I don't like where James is going. Let me un- unfollow him because we don't, whatever we stand for, we're not on the same page, but that's okay. But obviously you can, it, it, you can go the other way as well. I didn't used to like where James stand, stood for, but I like the direction where he's going. And so I guess it gives you a sense to be a, and I use this one from my, my recent show I've, I've, released with uh, key michael in terms of it it shapes the individual sport so we're not defined by our sport but i think where social media will come to the fore if used properly you act no differently with your friends and family as you would do with your i'll call them an entourage on social media you are the same individual irrespective of the people even if you don't obviously you, the closer they come to towards you the better you get to know them and vice versa so i think this is it's a skill in itself to be able to do that because it takes a certain ounce of vulnerability to be able to show your true self and what i mean by this earnest is not to have a mask uh, and, and be one person in sport, one person in family life, and then a completely different beast on a podcast, on a Facebook Live, in 
in content that you produce or Instagram. And then people will kind of say, well, you're not being your your authentic self, which I, I have actually someone said that to me. But that's for me to be a little bit better at showing all aspects of life. So I'm being authentic to myself. And then you were you either don't like that or you or you you lap it up. So I think it, it, it is for the athletes themselves, but I think it's the understanding of probably the wider society to kind of not curtail that person into one box. Yeah, and people are multifaceted. Like you again, you've mentioned this how you are around um, other athletes because you you know how you, you know what that's like and you're around when you're around um, academics you're away around them and when you're around fan, uh, friends and family and stuff you're you're a different way that doesn't make you fake or phony or putting on an act it's just when you're in different environments you behave differently because um, obviously these are all different environments that you are a part of and they're a part of you. Um, so it doesn't make anybody fake or phony or acting like somebody that they're not because somebody who is not in the field that let's just say somebody who is not an athlete and they see you interact on your podcast with the other athletes, by the way, if you want to share the podcast as well, talk about that. You can, I'm not, I'm not one of these other podcasters that's going to hate and say, you can't talk about what you have going on. I'll also leave that in the description box below if you want me to, but uh, to go off that, if someone basically outside of that world were to see you and they know you from another world, basically, and they see you react in that world and they called you fake or phony, yeah, that's I don't think they have a right to do so because they never stepped inside the world that you're in and the world that you're, uh, you know, the people you've worked with are in. Um, and basically, they have no right to say, you know, what what is you or who are you or tell you who you are and not just you, but people in general, especially with athletes, I feel as though that people tend to think that they're either just supposed to be the entertainer that they are. Um, so when you have the um, other athletes who step out and they do something else or they do something unrelated to um, athletics and then people say, well, you're acting this way or th that way or you're stepping out of line or out of character and it's like you really don't know that individual um so yeah i'm i'm glad you brought that up um i just have a few questions last two questions here uh one of them being basically what is your reason behind what you do as a career um if you had to sum it up uh, again you could explain as much as you want as little as you want but what will be your reason for why you do what you do? Mm, that's a good question. I think the reason behind doing my job as a transformational coach, I think it's the fulfillment to be able to obviously transform people's lives and, and obviously be that for motivational reasons, inspirational reasons as to why people gravitate towards me. 
I don't know. I, I, that's that's I, I I probably will ask people as they progress and they feel more comfortable to be able to go in inside that kind of deep rooted question. I think it it, it brings a sense of joy to t- kind of see somebody completely change their life and be uh, going from an individual that, that's lost, has tried every every diet under the sun, has tried everything to try and change, and obviously for no no fault of their own, has probably yo-yoed and, and failed time and time again, and I'm probably the last resort. It's like, well, if I don't get over this hump now, I might as well give up. So it's given them... A re, I think reestablishment of hope, obviously um, elevating their self confidence, their, their self esteem, uh, and their self worth of themselves. But I think, and coming back to what you said earlier in terms of you know being fake, I was called by, out by somebody I thought I knew in terms of they deemed when you were an athlete, you you were more you, your authentic self. So I was interested. I obviously was willing to hear him out because, like, well, here you're side of the story. You tell me why. But I kind of, I didn't brush it off, but I laughed at it because ultimately, sport. I didn't do it for anybody else. That was for me. That was a choice. I wanted to progress to the highest and the highest, as high, get as high as I could. From being a young kid, I wanted to be an I wanted to be a professional athlete. To being able to get to 15 when I started my career, did I envision making a Paralympics? Probably not. It was it was within my wildest dreams. But to be able to do it twice and then somebody call you out as you are taking advantage of individuals, I was like, hang, hang on a second. I did, yes, sport can be a motivation or an inspirational vehicle, but being able to be a coach and obviously help people lose 10 plus pounds, that has an enormous amount of um, fulfillment to me because that's somebody being able to be, uh, they don't hate themselves, they don't like, they, they stop fearing judgment of other people they can look themselves in the mirror and not have that sense of disgust towards themselves and I think it has a massive implication both on themselves and those individuals or surrounding them so be like family colleagues uh, people in passing on the street oh you look you look you look well uh, today what have you what have you done differently to change and I think it's that kind of domino effect that you don't know how many people that you actually have um, an uplifting effect on versus sports. Okay, it was all inspiring for, if I use London 2012 as the example to kind of counteract that. Yes, it, it brought an enormous amount of pride to the nation. But from a, para, from a disability perspective and Paralympic perspective, we have been somewhat forgotten because they'll go back to, uh, I think it was one day in particular for the Olympics, Super Saturday, where they did very, very well. 
and they very much go back to that all the time. This time, eight years ago, blah, 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 Team GB did this. But you're thinking well, from a parallel perspective, and there's no begrudgment with that because ultimately that is probably a prejudice that still needs to, to be overcome towards disability, same with race. There's uh, reforms that we've got to make uh, as human beings uh, over time to get better at this. But obviously from um, a perspective of that, the Paralympic team has always done better than the Olympic team. Be it most countries, is not that's not the case. But with ours, I think uh, one of the TV networks um as a as a publicity stunt they put posters all around the uk as thank you for the warm-up event now the real event's going to happen so and, and if i can find that i might i might share that again because it was for for us as our paralympic athletes it was hilarious it's like you're taking a shot at the pinnacle of most sports from a probably a human perspective as using the Olympic quote or heightiest, high, high, fortiest, and I can't remember what the other word is, but higher, higher, was it higher, stronger, faster. And it's like the pinnacle of any human uh, achievement. That's one thing and saying, well, that's the, that, that thanks for the, the warm up act. Now it's time for the big stage to, to come up and, and to be kind of that shift in perception towards disability sport and it's kind of really accelerated um, over the last eight years obviously the ones that meddle in London are household names here obviously uh, speaking to other athletes be it like the Americans more specifically they are obviously still in awe of that because be it if they don't have a sponsorship deal or, or something like that, they have to still have a regular job. Whereas we have, oh, I'm not, I'm no longer in within that, that that arena. But obviously in the UK, we're fortunate enough to be paid to do that, and that is our jo- our job. We can f- focus 100% on our craft to be able to perform on the highest stage. Whereas I think a lot of countries don't have that luxury. So I think people have to remember that it. It is probably easier for some Olympic athletes, but you know the the top mainstay players. Obviously, Michael Phelps is now retired, but it probably came easy for him because he was the flagship of the sport of swimming. Uh, he was household name in the US for obviously what he'd done. But for a disability disabled athlete, that's not the case. They've already got, they've already got the achievement of overcoming that adversity of living with the disability on a day to day basis. Obviously, for me, it's a little bit easier than say somebody who was paraplegic, spinal injury. My day to day is a lot easier than theirs. And then you add on top the exploits of succeeding in sport. I think that's not given the credit that it's due. Because, yes, you want to be viewed as the athlete. And obviously, the story sometimes supersedes that. And obviously, me being the athlete on the start line, etc., or on the on the field or the court, 
I dismiss that that story. I I I I appreciate the hardship that you've had to get here. Everybody's the same, but you want to be viewed as the athlete, and I think that is sometimes lost with the media. And I forgot what your initial question was now, and I've kind of got off on a tangent. Um, but I think from that basis. I think that's where we need to progress. We need to obviously come back to being a little bit more open, vulnerable, like I said, about using social media to be able to show the struggles, show the day-to-day, I'm saying probably at the moment, joys of doing things that are taken for granted and maybe some people are, ultimately struggling to get their head around home workouts um, and starting to get back into, like we said about comfort. Whereas for me, I get enormous amounts of joy of doing my daily walk. Um, Home workouts, not always, but that's obviously uh, not a mindset thing, but it's your mood. And I, I think what I want to end of this portion of the, the, your question on is we are no, an athlete themselves is no different than anybody in this, you know, at Joe Average. We have a good and bad days. You just deem that we don't. And obviously we don't look to fixate on the bad too much because if I get fixated on, I don't want to come too stoic with this now. If I get too too fixated on the psychological aspect of the fear, the failure, etc., I go from a thought to an emotion, and ultimately, an, emo- an emotion isn't. We are we're all human beings. We have feelings and emotions, but we aren't our feelings and our, our emotions. And I think you you got to remember that because ultimately, a thought, be it Sadness, frustration, happiness, envy, jealousy. Well, they're not you. They don't make you the the individual. It's just a passing thought. And I think people have to remember that. Obviously, you don't you don't necessarily dwell on a something that's uplifting or happy because it, it brings you up. I feel happy at this particular moment. Oh, it's that's that's okay. And I think you need to come back, like I said, with the gratitude factor, is you need to a little bit be grounded with that 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 moment in time in terms of why well, I feel good. What how does that make me feel? How however small that is, it, it, that's a win. And it's when those negative things do come up, you've got something to go back to in terms of okay. Something has agitated me. Something has made me frustrated or, or, or sad. Not necessarily how do I want to feel, but let me think of something that is necessarily good and you'll feel a lot better about that. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. That's that's a great way to uh, end off this podcast um, or this episode. Appreciate you for coming on, man. Uh, really great story from what, what I read and what I've heard here. 
Um, is there anything else you'd like to share? Once again, uh, any last words? I'm not sure how long you have, so you you can you know make it as short as possible or long as possible. Anything you want to share to the viewers? Oh, that's a good one. I, I would I'd probably use probably the 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 the, the song. There's no mountain high enough, <laughs> or, or no valley deep enough. I think it's it it is it's you're gonna have ebbs and flows in life. It's just, I think, the perspective of how you look at it. You, you, Yes, everybody would like to be happy all the time. But what's the cost of that? It, 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 you, you, you're going to be very robotic and you don't really... It, it is... It, we talked about this sometimes throughout, throughout the, uh, the episode. What is wrong with going into that hardship? I think, yes, it's been... Tr- traumatic to be uh, stuck in the four walls of your house but those probably we, we aren't one as a society we like our distraction but if we actually sat with our, our thoughts and, and had to over, over, um, actually had to weed through them you'd get a better understanding of probably the, how you felt, be it, you know, towards anger, uh, sadness, and happiness. You've got a better understanding of all these, or just those three emotions, and you're better able to deal with them versus, for no uncertain terms, using a Band-Aid and just kind of going about in comfort. Well, you've not really solved the problem you just fixed it like a quick fix approach and well I'll deal with it later and when I've done that in life it's come back to bite me in the ass uh, because obviously that that build up of pressure within inside you is like a pressure cooker it gets to a certain point you explode and and, and I don't know why it takes people or me in general to get to kind of hit rock bottom before we do something and I think the body is probably giving you warning signs that something's not right be it a lot of it's obviously situational but somebody that irritated you you need to probably have that take that um, meditative approach of stepping back and kind of thinking okay why is this got under my skin? And it's it's very difficult to do because ultimately you, you're not, you deem it either I haven't got time or I'm too busy, but ultimately we're talking about yourself. This is, this is well-being and health to its root cause because ultimately no, nobody has more power over your, your body and ultimately your mind than yourself because you control what you watch you consume what you eat you consume what uh, you 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 have choice over what you drink you've got nobody to blame in terms of what you're putting into your body and that, that ultimately is a choice and i think people have to remember that you you the decisions you make rightly or wrongly you choose them
Yeah, man, everything you just said, man, and I mean, literally everything you just said, I've brought up before, and that could be an entire episode, man. Uh, So thank you once again. Thanks for coming on. Um, Would love to have you as a guest again, for sure, in the future. Um, Maybe we could speak on more on what you were just talking about. But hey, man, you know, take care, keep doing your thing, Uh, really find your story and inspirational so thank you for coming on and it's been my absolute pleasure and thanks again and thanks again for having me on pleasure's all mine man take care all right that is the episode once again thanks james for coming on the show Really appreciate you for being a guest. Really smart, intelligent fella right there. Y'all check out James's website once again in the description box below. And anything else that I have down there relating to James or myself, check it out. Check out my PayPal, my Cash App. If you want to donate to the episode, feel free to do so. Hit that support tab as well. Any amount is greatly appreciated. You want to show your support for the podcast freely. That's perfectly fine as well. A simple subscribe to the podcast. If you're not subscribed, simple share the episode, share the podcast and wherever you listen to this podcast, make sure that you're leaving a nice rating. When I say a nice rating, I don't mean uh, the highest of highest rating. Now I prefer if you do that, but Rate the podcast episode however you want to rate it or the podcast in general, however you want to rate it. Just leave a rating that helps me out a lot with knowing what I need to improve on. And it also helps promote the podcast in a way as well. Until next time, stay black if you are black. Black lives. Stay beautiful. I'm, I'm forgetting my own outro. I'm not going to reshoot this. All right. Stay black if you're black. Stay beautiful. Black Lives Matter. The people, not the organization. Trans lives matter. Black trans women matter. LGBTQ. I'm just fucking up all my my, my outro today, man. But we're going to keep it riding. Fuck it. All lives matter, right? <laughs> Black lives matter. LGBTQIA lives matter trans lives matter trans uh black trans women matter black trans men matter black men matter black women matter and i'm out peace